You're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 240. It is by far our most popular product. It's such a great conversation starter because the conversation usually starts of one, oh my gosh, what is this? Can you eat it? Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and thanks for joining me here today. Just a few short weeks from Thanksgiving. Heads up and a reminder that all these special holidays happen just right after that, right? We've got Black Friday, of course, and then Small Business Saturday, followed by Cyber Monday. It's no wonder that they're all packed in together in one big extravaganza. This is when minds shift from eating turkey to Christmas and Hanukkah gift giving, and the official purchasing season begins. (laughs) If you haven't planned to participate in one of these days, it's almost, but not too late to join in. So if you haven't already, pick one, set up a plan quickly, like today, and don't let this opportunity to get visibility and sales pass you by. People are opening their wallets and swiping their cards, and you should get your share. Before we get into the show, I have a past guest spotlight for you. This is where I give you updates on people you've heard before on a previous Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. And today I'm spotlighting Derek Thalke from Northwoods Cheese Company. He was on episode number 84 way back in November of 2016, so three years ago already. But this year, 2019, will definitely go down in the records of his company. You see, this past June, Derek purchased his competitor, Millox Cheese. Not only that, but the deal also includes the Lazy Spa. That means they've expanded outside of food products, cheese, sausage, crackers, now into bath and beauty as well. What makes this accomplishment so rewarding, above and beyond the obvious, is that this has been a goal of Derek's since the early 2000s. You see, he used to work at Millox Foods, and when he left and started his own business, he placed the intention that someday he would own Millox. The law of attraction in the works, for sure. So congratulations goes out to Derek and his partner, Angela, for this huge accomplishment. I was actually honored to be in the room when Derek made this announcement. He was in front of the crowd and he ripped off his professional button-down shirt to reveal a Millox t-shirt underneath. And the crowd (laughs) did indeed go wild. It was an exciting time for sure. Moving into today's guest, this is someone who excels in customer relationships. And by that, I mean the whole gamut. So prospecting, selling, and getting repeat business. These are beautiful things (laughs) to any business owner's ears. She's going to share with us how she became a pro, taking us back to when she first started with just a desk, a phone, and a list of names on paper. Let's hear what happened from there. Today, I 
I'd like to introduce you to Kristen Crowley of Savannah Bee Company. The founder, president, and head beekeeper of Savannah Bee Company is Ted Dennard. Growing up in coastal Georgia, Ted's journey into the magical world of bees and honey was sparked by an elderly beekeeper, Roy Hightower, who believed in beekeeping as a way of life. Even after 35 years, Ted's passion hasn't waned a bit. He backed into business in 1999 when his friend opened a store in Savannah and began selling his Tupelo honey. Three years later, Savannah Bee Company was officially born. Today, Ted remains dedicated to sharing the world of bees with others and introducing new honeybee products to market. Kristen, who's joining me here today, has worked with the company for over nine years, focusing on the independent retail, gift basket, international, and corporate marketing accounts. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hi, Sue. So glad to be here. I know. I've seen you a couple of times at shows, and last year I was like, I really want to talk to her about being on the show. And for some reason, it just went by the wayside. And then this year I saw you again, and I'm like, I'm not leaving until we have this conversation. And yay, you said yes. So that worked out really well. Yay, I know. So glad to connect with you because I always love kind of I pop in and out of different shows, and you're a constant there that's always inspiring people. So it's really an honor to be included in this group. Oh, you're so sweet. Love that. Well, and you have so much fun stuff to tell us about, too, (laughs) which I'm excited to get into. But before we do that, I'm keeping with tradition here on the show. And I'd like to have you share with us who you are in a little bit of a different way, because we're all creators here, makers of some sort. So if you were to envision a motivational candle that really would resonate with you, it's your own special Kristen candle, if you will, what color and what quote would make up your motivational candle? Yes. Well, I would probably have a navy blue candle because I just think navy blue is a great color for myself and I enjoy it. And then I have to stick true to the Savannah Bee motto and tagline of be above your usual because that means a lot to me. Ooh. And how do you guys use that within the business? Yeah. So we, of course, it's spelled B-E-E, above your usual. And we try to emulate our business a lot like a honey beehive. So having open communication, every person and every bee matters. Um, We all work together. And then so for personally, for me, being above my usual is elevating my workload, my personal mantras, just doing what I can to put everything out there in a positive light. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. So talk with me first. I want to get into your whole story and your position within the company because I know you have a lot to share with us there. But talk a little bit beforehand about Ted's love for bees and how he incorporated that into his life and obviously the company. Yes. So Ted, he learned how to keep bees when he was really young and was very nervous the first time he went out there with Roy. As soon as Roy pulled the honey frame out of the hive, which is basically when you're opening a a lid of bees, a beehive, there's the honeycomb and the light shined through the honeycomb. And it was this beautiful glistening rainbow and Ted was hooked. So the fear of being stung by bees was gone. And it just kind of followed him as a way of life. When he went to school at the University of the South, he was beekeeping with a landlord. And then he went to Jamaica after college in the Peace Corps and taught Jamaicans how to keep bees. And then when he came back to Savannah with his brother, they were kind of doing some like odd jobs, flipping homes and stuff and still had some honey. And a friend said, hey, let me put your honey in my store. And he was kind of embarrassed. I mean, he was a religion major, so was not focusing on business at all. It was like, just take the honey. 
she started selling it. Another store down the street called and was like, hey, Ted, I hear you have honey. We'd love to buy some. So then that's kind of when it organically just got started of, you know what, I think I'm going to give this a try. And if it fails, I hope it's within the first year so I can move on. And it's almost been 20 years and it's still rocking and rolling. That's so incredible. We're speculating, but you might know. Do you think it was his love of the insect, the bee, or the love of the product of honey? Oh, it is 100% the love of the honeybee. (laughs) Everything we do is honeybee, honeybee, honeybee. So we have company meetings and Ted can get a little sidetracked or just talking about honeybees (laughs) and we're like, what's going on here? But even if he's trying to coach us into prepping for the holiday season or trying to work out some communication issues, he's always taking it back to the hive. Like sometimes in business, when you're doing 100 projects and you get interrupted different ways, whether people pop in your office or just more indirect things with a personal phone call or you've got a crisis with your kid, he'll pull it back to the honeybees and saying, well, when you disrupt a honeybee hive, it takes them three days to get back coming. So keep that in mind. It's always related to the honeybee. So he's out there any chance he can in the bee garden, just breathing in the esters and talking to them. And it is definitely a passion for honeybees. Oh, that sounds like such a beautiful life to have a passion that is that deep and then you can take it into your business. That's so cool. And you guys, of course, all have to buy into it to work there for sure. Yeah, and it's easy to buy into. (laughs) Probably because of the passion, but I have a really scary question. Yes. Is part of your orientation going out and like interacting with the beehives? It is. And I can tell you as a person, I forget what the fear is called, but I have a fear of a lot of little things. So like, I don't know, my husband always makes fun of me. He's like, I know this is a scary thing for you, but we'll get this cleaned up in a second, whatever it is. But when I went out to the bee garden with Ted and he's got this calm demeanor, he's talking about them the whole time. And now wait, you're in this big garb, right? Like that I see like on the Discovery Channel? No. No, you're not protected? Not at all. So we're wearing like interview clothes. Okay. (laughs) So you go out there, you've got open toed shoes if you want, which he kind of like gently encourages, but not always to wear the bee veil, which is the hat with the screen. Mm -hmm. So he's like, yeah, go ahead and wear a veil. And so we put that on, we go out there and he opens a hive, takes a frame out, encourages you to try the honeycomb right out of the frame. So you stick your finger in it. And you try the honey. And then while we're standing there, the bees are already working to fix that problem of the open honeycomb cells. So of course, he talks about that. And I mean, it's a really cool immersive experience. And we're still we've grown a lot. But when I first started, we were super small. So everyone was doing everything. I know the guy that got hired before me, I think it was his first week of work. Ted asked him to drive to some sort of bee farm and pick up some hives <laughs> in this guy's explorer. So <laughs> it's always an adventure around here. I'd say. I'd say. And clearly, I mean, you guys have gotten stung at some point. That's just going to happen. Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you just have to have someone who's not allergic or else you have your EpiPen and you're good to go. Yeah. We're not trying to get anybody have any allergic reactions. And we've got Benadryl on hand at all times. And he gets stung all the time. He got stung the other day. And there's a picture on Instagram where he posted. And it looks like he's had like some major lip filler. So that's pretty hilarious. <laughs> it's a new form of Botox. Exactly. <laughs> so your location right now are the beehives then right where you work? Yep. So we're in Savannah, Georgia. We have three stores here. And one of them is in Wilmington Island, which is where our manufacturing facility is. 
And we have observational and educational hives here. So the honey that we're obtaining and are pouring, those are working with our network of beekeepers worldwide. So Ted still has hobby hives, but there came to a point when he was producing to either work with beekeepers or try and help them grow their businesses by helping them sell their honey. And that's what we do now. Got it. So it's expanded to way past just your location and your product as you're talking about. It's the whole love of the bees, what they represent, et cetera. Exactly. Beautiful. Okay, wonderful. And that was what attracted me so much to talking with you also is just how far this whole thing has gone with the bees. Because I don't think people really understand the life and the complexity of life in the hives, right? Mm -hmm. And then all the interaction and support. And it's a whole big community going on there. Yes. And that's just a main motivator for our company is we're trying to tell people what we've been doing to help save the honeybees. So we've been doing it for so long that we're like, no one even knows. So we're trying to get that out there a little bit more. And one is, of course, working with our network of beekeepers. And then we are putting honeybee hive ingredients in our products. So we are utilizing amazing ingredients the honeybees make, but also supporting the beekeepers who help obtain those ingredients. And then we support a nonprofit called the Bee Cause Project, and that's putting observation hives in schools around the world. So there's about 500 hives now in all 50 states and four countries. So it's pretty amazing. It's fascinating. I absolutely love it. I'm just going to say it now because I don't know if I'll miss slipping this into the conversation. When I saw you last, you had samples of the honey, of course. But you also had samples of the honeycomb, which I didn't even realize you could eat. It was so good. Yes. Honeycomb is 100% edible. It is by far our most popular product. It's such a great conversation starter because the conversation usually starts of one, oh my gosh, what is this? Can you eat it? Or, oh my gosh, my grandmother or grandfather had bees and we used to eat honeycomb all the time as kids. So it's this long lost art. And it's the purest form of honey you can eat. And it is an amazing way to dress up like a charcuterie platter or have as a dessert, have right before breakfast with a biscuit. Did you try some, Sue? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you had me try some. And I was like, whoa, this is really good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is amazing. Because I was hesitant. You know, I've had honey, of course, Mm -hmm. before, but not like that. So that was, I'm getting on in my years. I think I've seen a lot of things and there was something new I'd never seen before. It was really delicious. Oh, good. Yeah. So let's swing over and talk about your path into Savannah Bee Company. Where did you start and at what point did you guys connect? Yeah. So it's kind of a ridiculous story and I won't go too long into it, but basically... We like ridiculous here. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you can cut out as much as you want in the story, but basically my now husband and I were engaged. I lived in Atlanta. He was in Savannah and we were trying to figure out who was going to find a job first in which city. And by this gracious blessing, we landed in Savannah through my getting the job at Savannah Bee Company. So basically, Ted calls one day and he's like, hey, or I sent a resume in and he said, hey, can you come interview? I'm like, well, I live in Atlanta. Okay, can you come tomorrow? Well, I have a job. (laughs) I came as soon as I could for my job, drove down, met him at our store, which we only had one store at that point. And met with a retail manager and Ted's like, okay, yeah, I like you, but we need to make sure everyone else in the office likes you too. I'm like, okay, we're pretty straightforward here. I like this. So I drive to the main office and on my drive, I wreck my car completely, like undrivable. 
So I call from the side of the road. I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry. I've wrecked my car. I'll get a taxi. And the person here was like, no problem. I've got you. So she comes out. And I mean, to this point, my dad's a car fanatic. So I like if I got a door ding, I'd cry. But like my car is undrivable and I've got the straightest face like I'm getting this job. You are mission focused. <laughs> exactly. So I'm sitting there and Diana is the person. She's still here. And she's trying to ask me some questions like, so tell me about yourself. And we're sitting on the side of the road and the police officer comes over. He's like, uh, ma'am, your license expired. I'm like, OK, thank you. And I like just roll the window back up. I'm like, so let me tell you about myself. So anyway, it was just this like hilarious interview story that, of course, I had another interview after that and all worked out. And so here I am nine years later. But I came to the office and there really weren't that many people here. We had this oversized 40,000 square foot building that Ted was wondering if we should rent out the space. And it was a lot of storage places for his friends, like old furniture. I came to the office and there was a list on a table with a phone and a computer. Well, wait, what was your job? What was the job you interviewed for? So I came in for sales. Okay. We need someone who's going to help push product. So I get this list on my desk and it's just of the people who have ordered in the past year. And if they had a certain dollar amount, call them first. So I'm just going down the list. I have no history on these people. I don't know anything. I'm just like, hey, I'm Kristen. We have some new orange blossom honeycomb. Would you like to place an order? You know, just trying to navigate. It was really only about seven months after I graduated from college. So I'm just kind of learning the ropes and I've got all this stuff on the top of my head. And I remember like the first month and I was like, I saw Ted in the hall. I'm like, Ted, guess what? And I like have my little yellow legal pad. I'm like, in the past month, I've gotten $700. And he's like, oh my God, <laughs> you're joking. And so it's like this joke about when we shorten numbers. I'm like, oh, this is seven. He's like, hundred or thousand. And I'm like, <laughs> thousand. And so now as we've gotten bigger, my numbers have gotten bigger. And he's like, hundred or thousand. <laughs> so anyway, more related to everyone here trying to grow their businesses is this list had no history. And I just wrote everything down. I made spreadsheets. And then I realized if we're going to grow this thing, I cannot have all this in my brain. Like what if I want to go on a vacation? No one's going to have any idea how to navigate. So I started to look up kind of like a free CRM program. I didn't even know what a CRM was at the time. I just was like some way to store data. So this would have been early 2000s. This was about 2010 and 11. I started in 10 and by 11, I was like, I've got too much stuff in my brain. What if something happens? <laughs> I need help. So we signed up with this program. I don't even know if they're, I'm sure they're still around. It's called Legrand. And it was a very like basic CRM, which is just a place to put customer information and keep it all organized. And it was great because by December, 2013, I was allowed to hire somebody to come help. And we divided and conquered. And there was history on these customers. So it wasn't just ask Kristen Crawley about this person or what do they order? We were able to just keep the relationship going. And it didn't just have to be me knowing everybody's business. So getting tools like that have been really helpful. What did you grow into? What are you using today? Yeah, so now we're using Salesforce, which is okay. gigantic. So now we have like a whole team. There's five people in the sales team, which Diana was here and she just managed such larger accounts that she was just grateful that I came in to take the smaller accounts and try and grow those. So we've always been a great team. And then we have just a couple more people and everybody's got their initiatives and now or over the past couple of years. So I did international and that's a whole fun adventure because nothing is the same for any country. And then most recently I've been working on corporate gifting. 
So that's a whole fun new challenge. I love that project because you can meet so many people and they all have different ideas and they want to represent their companies in different ways. So there's a lot of creative process there. Okay, so this is a great conversation to dive a little deeper into because I think where you were when you first walked in that first day and saw that list of people with names, I think that many people who are listening with us right now maybe have a handful maybe a little more than that, if they're just starting out, right, of names of customers or potential prospects, right? Right. But then comes the scary part. Like, okay, you've got these names they bought once before. How do you get them to buy again? Or if they're a prospect, how do you reach out to them in the first place? So it sounds like you have been very successful just in the old-fashioned way, picking up the phone, which I think still holds some importance today. I'll ask you that again in a second. But any direction for someone who is facing that situation today, how do you approach those calls? Yeah, so I just really, I love to reach out to people just to hear their perspective on Savannah B companies. So I'm not necessarily calling to get an order. I mean, that's always gonna be super fun because that's the end goal. But I reach out and just say, hey, this is Kristen. We're calling from Savannah Bee Company. I know you've ordered from us in the past. How did those products do for you? Do your customers like them? Or are we doing something that we could better improve our service? Do you have signage? I really just try and hear what they have to say. And a lot of times it turns out of, I'm so glad you called. I've been meaning to call you. I know personally, I just get inundated with emails. And we do rely a lot on sending our monthly newsletter, which is great. But just that personal connection of even if they don't answer the phone and they just see Savannah B Company on the caller ID, you can see a couple days later the order rolls in. So it's just that constant reminder, keeping the relationship there, also not being like overbearing of I'm going to call you every day. And if you can connect with somebody, I like to just ask them, how do you prefer I connect with you? Do you want me to call you? And surprisingly, a lot of people say yes. But then if they don't, I make a note in my little system, like, don't call, maybe just send an email. And so you put that then into Salesforce under their client record. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I think that's really good. I mean, first of all, it's so respectful. I've got to say here, we'll get phone calls from people. Now, customers are different if they have a customer service question or something like that. But we'll get people, you know, many times it's solicitors who will call And we might be smack in the middle of something. And instead, they just go right into their sales pitch versus saying, is this a good time to chat? Or I'd like to take two minutes of your time. Is that all right? And like to be a little bit Mm -hmm. more respectful. So I think the first point when you're saying figuring out how they want to be communicated with is perfect because it's showing a lot of respect for their time. Yeah. I also, I really like, and GiftBiz listeners think about this too, because we're so hesitant to pick up the phone. But what you're saying is a lot of people are saying, call me, I meant to call you, and now you've taken away their need to fit it into the day. You've already done that for them. Exactly. And then they can just say, repeat my order, you have it all, you can just set it out, and you can be done with it. Yeah, and if they seem very short, and they're like, don't call me, then I just take that as, okay, great, I now know to not call you. (laughs) You just have to keep playing the game and just give everyone the benefit of the doubt that you never know if you've called in the middle of their biggest fire. Or if they're bored or they're not selling, you know, everyone's just trying to make it through. That's how I think about it. Right. And we all feel like we're doing way more than the hours of our day allow us to do. We, you know, we're all swamped. So all right, sticking with this. OK, so we've talked about customers. What about if you're prospecting over the phone? And maybe I should start. Do you even do that? OK, gift business listeners, I just have to do this. We will be 
right back to hear more about prospecting after a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. Yeah, we do that off and on. So we just go to a lot of trade shows. So we have a lot of leads to follow up with. So between the leads and then the current customers, there's a lot of touch points. There is, we do prospect, but they're pretty warm. So there's never really a cold call because we'll call with a purpose and kind of see what they're up to or if they have any interest. Okay, so that's your strategy. So you're out at shows, you collect leads at shows where people have then probably tasted your product like I did with the honeycomb. Right. And then you're following up then on a warm lead. Yes. That's your way to do it. Okay. When you're at shows, question. I've seen sometimes it shows where the goal is to get as many business cards as you can. (laughs) No, people just want to get those cards. Been there. Tried that. (laughs) Want to swipe all of that. What's your philosophy and method on when do you pick up business cards and follow up and when do you not? Yes. So I can say this whole thought process has evolved for me. In the beginning, every person who came to the booth, I'm going to swipe your badge. Like, I'm going to scan you. I want to follow up. I want to grab my database. And then I've learned over the years that that is not always effective. So I try and engage a conversation, get an idea what they're looking for. And sometimes there's just not enough time for that. So people will say like, here's my card, give me a call. So if I can jot a quick note, then great. If I can't, then we always send a a blast, which is like our little follow up, like, thanks for buzzing by. (laughs) Thanks for buzzing by. I love that. (laughs) I know we have all sorts of little kitschy things like that. But we'll do that. And then I immediately will start following up over the next couple of weeks of just like, hey, you've expressed interest and just want to make sure that we don't drop the ball because a lot of times people do want our stuff, but then it's on us to make sure that they actually get it. Right. And so how many times do you follow up without a response before you put them on like a more time interval connection? Yeah. So really, for me, it depends on the conversation that we had. So if somebody spent a lot of time with me at the booth, and they kind of gave me a direction of what they're looking for, I'll probably reach out maybe four times, but over a span of probably two or three months. And then if there was just like a drop by, and they didn't really do anything, I'll just reach out twice. Okay. All right. But they're spaced out. And they're a phone call, then an email, then a phone call, I kind of really just pepper. Mm-hmm. And then with those people who you've had an individual conversation with, obviously, you have something a little more detailed to talk about. Right. And then how detailed are your notes then within Salesforce? How much do you keep track of that? Well, (laughs) it's a case by case. So I try and take my leads, I go through them. And if I know that I've had a really detailed conversation with somebody, or they've given me a really good idea of what they're looking for, I just go ahead and convert that into an opportunity. And then that way, I know this person I really need to follow up with because they're going to be in my open opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, I mean, I ask for people to tell me if they're not interested anymore, because I know, one, I don't want to be a bug in their inbox. And then two, they don't want me wasting my time on them if they're not going to move forward. So I always try and encourage really open feedback with people. Yeah. I mean, you can always say if you're not interested now, that's fine. We're here for you when you are. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then you maybe do like a mass mailing to that kind of cool list. They've been warm Mm -hmm. for a while, but they're cooler. I don't know how many times a year, three, four times maybe. Yeah. At the most, probably on that. Just if they're, we have people who sign up for our newsletter. So we send that monthly and they're usually already engaged customers. 
but then the people, if they've been converted to an opportunity, I'll, I'll reach out every couple months and then just realize, okay, this might not be going anywhere. But it is amazing because some accounts just have a really long lead time. They're like sitting ducks where the, underneath they are just working, working, working. They have, for example, like I have a couple gift basket accounts where you think that you've lost them, but they're like, no, 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 we're designing, we're pricing, we're doing all this thing. Okay, now we're reworking. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm glad to hear from you. <laughs> so glad this is still happening. But it just sometimes other customers just aren't as fast. Yeah. Like the independent retail, most of the time they're going to place an order at a show or directly after. And then I've had an account that's been really great for us over the past couple of years that it took a year and a half to get a confirmed order. Oh, wow. This is a good example then. How did you keep in touch with them? Well, we kept seeing them at shows. So we saw them for a year and a half at shows. And then like the response was like, yeah, I still want you guys. Just got to find the right way to get you in. I'm like, okay, I'm here. You just kind of feed off of their energy of if they continue to say they're interested, then touch it base maybe once a quarter. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. Well, and that's a good example. You don't give up, but you don't stay on top of them either. Right. Hound them. Yeah, I've had some of that where, you know, I'm interested in something. I see where it could have potential for us down the road. And then that sales person, it's like a dog on your leg, right? Like they won't leave you alone when you've given them one little glimpse of potential. Mm -hmm. So you definitely don't want to be that way. That's for sure. Have you had any challenging moments or specific pieces of advice specifically for working trade shows? And I bring that up because I really incentivize a lot of our new people who are just starting to develop a product to do a lot of test marketing through local craft shows, farmer markets, not trade shows necessarily for wholesale, but working a booth. And, you know, when you're new, that whole thing seems pretty daunting. You're a pro at this. So any advice or any kind of things that you did wrong, just to make a fun story, maybe, or <laughs> oh, things gosh. that you've learned that you can do different for booth presence and interaction with people at booths? Yeah, actually. So I'm going to call myself out on this one. My first trade show was the Atlanta Gift Mart. And Ted's brother was working with us. And he's a super fun, energetic person and just like can sling product like no other. He's just great, great energy. And so we were having fun going back and forth of seeing who could get the highest order. So it was kind of a joke because instead of asking somebody how many units we'd want, we were like, well, how many cases do you want? And so we joked back and forth. And then we had this one person come in to the showroom and she seemed to really like the brand. And I hadn't quite figured out how to really develop the relationship with people yet. So I was just in it to come home with record-breaking sales from this show. And when I got back in the showroom, she said, well, this is my budget. And what are the items that I should fit in this budget? And I'm like, oh, well, these are the things, but really you need these. Like I just kept making the order bigger and bigger. And I just really focused on that. And she's like, well, no, but like, this is my budget. And I really just need to know. But to me, it felt like everyone has a budget at the show. Let me just take as much of it as I can. And when I got back from the show, she got her order and called me and she's like, can I just give you some feedback? There was somebody at the show that I kept telling them what my budget was and they just had complete disregard for it. And they just kept pushing and they wanted more and more. And I just was really clear of what I had to spend. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was me. I'm so sorry. Did you tell her that? I sure did. Good for you. Yeah, so I wrote her a letter I mean, because I didn't want her to have a bad impression for the company. And it was a great learning experience for me. 
because she's like, you're not like the person at all that I talked to at the showroom. There's no way. And so then I wrote her a letter. I sent it with her order and apologize and let her know that I really appreciate her feedback. And she called me and we had the greatest relationship for the next four or five years. I don't believe she's in business anymore, but it was just this really open communication. And she's like, I cannot even believe that was you. And thank you so much for telling me. And I just respect your company even more now. And it's very humbling. And I'm like embarrassed as I'm telling you now, but now moving forward, here I am, how many years later? And I feel like I have great relationships with my customers. I know how to guide them. I understand that some people really do work on a budget and you have to respect that. And so when you were doing that, did you feel good about it? I mean, I know you were in competition, so it was part of a game kind of. And competition's not bad. Yeah. But were you feeling yourself when you were doing that, when you were talking with her and trying to increase her budget? No, I think it was just like, I was just caught up in the moment of having fun and trying to say like, well, this person only had $300 just then, but I got her up to 800. And so no, it wasn't great, but it was part of being young and inexperienced and not realizing that it's the end game. It's not the show because for us, I think as a new business person, you can get really caught up in the numbers you get at the show. But I've learned over the years that sometimes I talk people out of product at shows. I'm like, let's just start small here. Let's get some products in your store. Make sure that you can focus and know how to sell those. And then once they do well with that, they're going to come to you and say, give me more, give me more. Because there are a lot of new businesses that come to the shows with huge budgets and they'll buy everything in the line and they never order again. But from a sales standpoint, that's not great because you can't anniversary those sales and you haven't built a great relationship. You're right. What I was getting at with that was when you feel uncomfortable with what you're doing, it's probably not the right thing. Right. So it sounds like there was a little bit of that in there for you. But I would imagine just what you're talking about. I mean, the most important thing besides fulfilling orders for people who are coming back to see you because they want to reorder for the next season. But the most important thing is bringing on new clients who are going to be regular repeat customers. Right. So it doesn't almost matter how big the first sale is. It's getting the product in first. I remember when I used to work shows. I mean, we're out at trade shows for the ribbon print company as that's how you and I ran into Mm -hmm. each other. And we'll do the same thing. We want to recommend what's in the best interest of the customer because then that's going to establish the right type of relationship moving forward. But what I've often done is said, you know, if someone comes with a budget, let's say they're buying a printer. So we're talking twelve, fifteen hundred dollars products, right? Mm-hmm. And they want to add all this other stuff. I'll say, no, no, no. Let's just stick with this original package. And then next time, look at this and this and this and this. Right. But then possibly a month later, they're already ordering it. When originally they just came in with a certain budget. You never know how it's going to go. But yeah, I think it goes back to doing right by the customer always. Yeah. And I mean, but I totally understand how I got there because as a smaller business where you're paying so much money to go to these shows, you feel like you need to come home justified and just set those records and have a bang out show. And I'm sure you've experienced this where exhibitors get together like, well, how are you doing? How are you doing? Oh, the show's so slow. And it's just this energy that keeps going and you're like, nope, I'm going to do what's right for me. So it's just like blocking out all that other noise. Right. Well, and let's face it, some shows could be really good for one person and not for Mm -hmm. another. It's just not your audience. For sure. The very worst show I ever did was Atlanta's Mart. (laughs) Oh, gosh, yeah. And a January one, a huge show that everyone's like, Sue, why aren't you there? You should be there. You should be there. 
I tried it yeah. once and I'm like, this I'm never doing again because there are so many places you can be. Oh, there are. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't feel like it was the right audience for us. But you've got to try to know. Mm-hmm. And it could have been the year. You know, who knows? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about promotions or events that have helped you move the needle for the business. Again, now you're focused on wholesale. So mm-hmm. we want to keep that in perspective, not just your product direct to consumer, but on the wholesale side. What has helped you get accounts? Yeah. So I would say really just more on being able to grow and get a new product out there is we did a promotion uh, about a couple years ago and we had all these volcanic ash pumice stones and they were for a kit. We sold out of the kit and we just didn't know what to do with them. But we also have this beeswax, honey and beeswax heal balm. And that's a really great product, but it's kind of a foreign product because you don't just go, oh, I need a heal balm, but it's a really awesome product. So we thought, what if we just gave everyone who bought a heel bomb a free pumice stone? So the reason it was successful for us is because it gave our customers a value that they could give to their customers. So the pumice stones were an extra item that we had, and they're not very expensive. So we were helping move through a current inventory item and kind of an extra item. So just adding little pieces of value just help. The pumice stones, one, last forever. So once they're done with that, they can go back and get the heel bomb without the pumice stone because you don't need 20 pumice stones in your life. So that's kind of one of the promotions that's worked for us. Okay. I like that because you're not talking about discounting product. You're adding things on. Yes. Added value. Yeah. This is another thing to get into here is your product line has all your edible, like the honeys and mm-hmm. the comb and all of that. But then you have lip balms and lotions and all of that too. Are those two separate clients for you most of the time or do they cross frequently? They cross very frequently. So you mentioned you don't do so well at the Atlanta Gift Mart, but that is a huge show for us. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of gift stores and an independent retailer. So they're kind of building a story around, we have this, we can build the credibility of the honey. And then we've taken honey, beeswax, royal jelly and propolis and put that in our health and beauty products. So it's all, again, centered around the honeybee. And do you add in any educational elements or health benefits in the story? Absolutely. Yes. So we provide shelf talkers for all of our customers. We have some little training materials for resellers. And then all of our packaging has bee facts and quotes and messages about the different ingredients. And we're always trying to educate anyone about the honeybee hive. Like Ted proudly says the post person can learn about honeybees just by delivering our package because we've got quotes on it. And then it's funny, we have this old warehouse that I was mentioning. It was an old cabinet company and it's really just not a state-of-the-art kind of building. But we painted it and then we had somebody come and paint some bee facts on the back of the building. And one of the bee facts is all worker bees are female. And this woman drives by and she yells out the window like, hell yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) it's just trying to get, again, the majestic honeybee information out there everywhere we can. Do you do the same thing with social media? We do. Yep. So we're more active on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter. And do you have somebody then within your system who's responsible for all the social media or how does that work? Yes. So we have internal social media person. She's been with us for a long time and just is great at carrying through the voice. And also our e-commerce director writes a lot of blogs for us and Ted writes blogs. So if you go to our website, you can see the B blog and they kind of differentiate like this one's from a worker bee, which is one of us. 
And then this one's from Ted. And we kind of have them segmented in the different voices. Okay, so wait, is Ted the queen bee? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) he is. Okay, so we were just at a show together. If Mm -hmm. you were to have taken photos at that show, could you post those then on the Instagram account or would it funnel through your social media person? It would funnel through social media person. And so one challenge that we have is that we have 15 stores nationwide now that are our own company-owned stores. So one challenge that we have is how do we share on social media what everybody's up to, but also make it relevant to our thousands of followers. Because if we post a Savannah event, how is this relevant to our followers in Boulder? Or what if they don't have a store in Boulder? And then that's just been a challenge that we've had as a company of figuring out how to best promote. Okay, so each store doesn't have their own account. It's a master account, which is really helpful because then you've got way more content. Yes, exactly. And it's not scattered everywhere. Right. And you could post something from Savannah, but it's still showing like the lip balm or something. You can still go get it at your local store, you know, however that would go. But there's one central person, which I think you're just compiling all the opportunity and then keeping a consistent message out there, which is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's her full-time position, I am quite sure. Yes, that and photography. So a lot of our lifestyle images that are just so beautiful are attributed to Kate Dowdle. Mm -hmm. Love it. Perfect, perfect. So what would you say to somebody who's just getting started a little bit different than you in that has their product and they're just starting to get it out to the market? What would you tell them to do? What would be their first thing to do? Not business development, but getting customers to seeing their product. Well, I think it would just depend on what their goals are and their business model. So are they trying to get into other stores or are they trying to get into just homes? That's their way of selling. Let's say their ultimate goal is to be placed in boutique gift shops. I see. Yes. I'm a big fan of the shows. I know that they've evolved through time. And sometimes shows are more trafficked than others, but I really think that a good way to get out there and build credibility is finding a show and just making connections that way. Because it's really amazing because not only are you finding customers there, but you're finding like-minded businesses there. So every year there's new people who pop up at these shows. And so you can make connections with people who are just like you and you can kind of work together and say, okay, well, here's what worked for me and here's what's not working for me. And you kind of figure it out together. You build a network of peers. And I just think that that's really valuable because that's kind of what we do. I mean, Ted started going to shows and then he's built this network of people. And to this day, we still call some of them and say, hey, this account wants to carry us. What do you think? And they're like, oh, we work with them. They're great. Or I don't know, I'd steer away. And we're in different levels of business and have different products, but we can share the truths with each other, I guess. Right. It's just a nice way to put it. I agree with you that there are two different things going on at the shows at the same time. They're the people who are walking the shows and then there are your fellow booth people or vendors or whatever you want to call people. And they're both important because we've gotten business off of them or great, really valuable conversations with them, et cetera. And I guess I would just say, too, to the people who are listening, you might feel like you're in a remote area of the country, so you're not going to be traveling to Atlanta or where some of these big shows are. But so many areas of the country now have gift shows. And what I've found, and Kristen, I'll be interested in your opinion of this too, is sometimes I've found a better show isn't the one where the aisles are packed with people 
up and down. So there's like a million people coming to the show and the shows are really big because everyone is so busy wanting to get to every single thing they want to get to. The smaller shows allow for much better conversation. People stay and you deepen a relationship at a booth faster at some of the smaller shows. And honestly, you only need a handful of really good connections walking out of a show for it to have been successful. Right. To kind of answer that response, (laughs) there are some like major shows we go to where it's just that's very short show, but there's thousands and thousands of people there and so many vendors. And I mean, those shows, those are really long lead times. As someone who's starting, I would not recommend it at all because most of the people who are walking, do you have free samples? Do you have free samples? Can I have samples? And like, who has budgets for that? Right. If you're not established and you don't have free samples, you so you're really not making a lasting impact. But if you can go to even just a regional gift show or network with some people in your community, there's a lot of like economic development centers. We have amazing resources in Georgia that they're always trying to grow our businesses. So they'll connect us with the right people. So if you don't have the resources yet to go to a show, you might be able to just connect with other makers in your area that can say, oh, you know what, why don't you try this? Or there's another show we went to with a like-minded brand and we are not competitive. We complement each other and we split the booth and we're going to it again this year. And it's just one of those like smaller shows for us, but we're going to give it a try and we bounce ideas with this other company. And it's just a nice way to kind of cut your costs. And not all shows will let you do that, but if you're small enough, they might. Right. Another thing I've had experience with right in your area is the Southern Woman Show. And I did the one in Savannah. And that's a consumer show. And so I'm just bringing this up from a different angle with shows. Right. In a way, it wasn't so great because there were so many people coming through. We were printing ribbon for people and children and babies and everything all day long. However, there were a lot of business owners who also walked that show with their family over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And we did very well at that show. So you can't just discount a consumer show thinking it's only consumers who are going to be the one-off consumer purchasers either. Yeah. And the junior leagues do a lot of consumer shows like holiday pop-ups. And that's actually one of the main ways that Ted got started is that Ted and his brother used to go to all these road shows for the holidays. So it was like the Nutcracker in Houston, and then there's Dallas, and there's one in Mississippi and Richmond. So I mean, they would do very well in the holidays. And it helped build the business because anytime you're out there showing just direct to consumers, you're building your brand and market. Then you can call the local stores, kind of a way you can find some prospects if you can't go to a show is look on Yelp, like look at nice gift stores. That's if you really have some time. And just call them be like, hey, I just showed here. We sold crazy. Do you want to, can I send you some samples that maybe you could try? And I don't know, just another way to build your business without having to go to a show. What I continue to hear from you throughout our whole conversation is the human connection. Exactly. Whether it's a show, whether it's after the show, actually getting on a phone call with them versus just email, but it's all that one-on-one human connection and working it through that way. Not collecting a million cards at a show. And my pet peeve, so I just have to say it here because I have to say it every time this happens, is not taking an email list that you get from all the attendees at a show and sending an email saying, it was so good to see you Mm -hmm. (laughs) at a show because sometimes they didn't even come by your booth. That's a no-no. Yes. And just PSA, 
the emails that you get from people who are like, oh, would you like to buy a list from this show? That's not right. Like, don't buy those ever. Absolutely. And some of them are scams anyway. Exactly. So or the list is 10 years old from a show. Mm -hmm. So yes, be very wary of that. Getting your emails directly from someone who has been in front of you, you've had a conversation, and you both agree that you want to take the discussion further is the way to go. For sure. Perfect territory, right? So, all right. So tell me, Kristen, what's up for you? Like, what do you see as your future? It sounds like you absolutely love where you are. I do. So I have no idea what you're going to be saying here. But if you were to think about what your future is going to look like, what is it? I am just loving the corporate gift channel right now. So I love working with companies who are trying to sell to corporations. I love working with corporations and I'm having fun diving into the creative space. So my first big corporate gift account this year, I had fun procuring all these different items to match a goal of how they want to project themselves to their clients. And so I'm just excited to see where this can go. And this is really the first big year of it. So the world is my oyster. It's exciting. I love the fact that you're in a company that is continuing to grow. You still have a smaller number of people. So there's a lot of opportunity to bring in new ideas, test new things and continue expanding. So being able to do that and stretch yourself and move forward is a beautiful thing for sure. Yes. How is the best way for any of our listeners to learn more about Savannah Bee Company? Where would you send them online? SavannahBee.com. That's a great way. And then you can click around. We've got our video up under our Save the Bees tab. And you can learn all about how Ted took honeybees to the Bahamas and restored life and beautiful flowers there. And you can also shop our products. Beautiful. And if someone wants to talk directly because maybe they're a gift shop and interested in considering your product... Sure. I'm happy to connect with anybody. My email is Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N at savannahb.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been fascinating. I didn't know exactly where the conversation was going to go, but I'm really glad we spent a lot of time on sales because I know that's going to help a lot of our listeners. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your experience, your insight. It's been a joy to have you on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Sue. Oh my gosh, there are so many actionable tips that we just picked up on how to bring in and retain new customers. You guys, don't just listen to this show. Pick one new way of attracting or retaining a customer and implement it right away. Now, I have to say there are many lines from this show that were my favorites, but here are the two that top the list. One, don't be a bug in someone's mailbox. And two, all worker bees are female. <laughs> Thumbs up to both of those. Now, after all this colorful language, I'm really happy to say that our guest next week will continue to put a smile on your face in a joking, comedic kind of way. I look forward to all of us being together again then. Make it a great week and bye for now. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. And thank you to those of you who have already left a rating and review. 
By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey as well.